Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. We're doing a part two this week on country living, and a few weeks ago we got together with Carrie Ann Tichborn, and we just basically, her story is interesting and inspiring, and she's basically, her and her husband Dean, they just got a real sense from God that that they should just change their circumstances and and pull their family out uh, onto a property. And there's a lot of inspiration that, that tells us the benefit of that, being in a context that is conducive to spiritual growth and just seeing God. And yeah, she and Dean took this leap of faith and they yeah, just left Kernbong and went out to just the Kempsey area, not Kempsey, it's yeah, just the mid-north coast and got a property. And the conversation was so interesting for me, and there was so much that we didn't cover that we thought we'd get together and just do a part two. So Carrie Ann's here with me on the podcast, and I'd like to welcome you. And thanks for yeah coming to, to hang out and talk again. Oh, that's such a pleasure, Matt. It's great to be here with you again. And it's a topic that I'm really excited to be talking about. So thank yeah, you. amen, amen. And so what we've done is just got a couple Bible verses and and Bible stories that we wanted to comment on to where if you listen to the first podcast, this would be like, it would buttress some of the things that we were saying, support some of the things that we were saying. We did get a bit into scripture and into Ellen White's writings the last time we talked, but we want to do more of that because it was so interesting. And I guess where I'll start the conversation, Carrie is that the Bible in Revelation 18 and verse 4 shows us that near the end of time, there's going to be a call from God to his people. And it's going to, it says to them, Babylon has fallen, come out of her, my people. And, and we understand that as Seventh-day Adventists, just to mean there's a spiritual reality that takes over the world at the end of time. And God is calling people out of that spiritual reality. It's a spiritual reality of confusion. It's a spirituality of darkness. There's no real light there. We see happening on the basically on a global scale, what happened on a continental scale in Europe, where you know a, a form of Christianity, which was really just re like just redecorated paganism, oppressed and and basically just ruled the continent, and uh, it was nasty, it was ugly, it was terrible, and the Bible predicts that the same thing is going to happen again, that fallen Christianity, paganized Christianity will will have a, a resurgence in the world and. There's going to be a big crisis, a universal crisis. And so on a spiritual level, God is saying to those who truly love him and truly believe in him, but who are just not abreast, not aware of what is true. And so they're in Babylon, so to speak. They're in you know, paganism, but they don't know it. And so God is saying, come out of her, my people, come out of her, my people. I personally see that, that there's a, we don't want to take scripture to a place that scripture isn't warranted, or we're not warranted in taking it, right? But at the same time, to come out of Babylon, although that's a spiritual thing, like where I'm making a personal spiritual choice to disregard Babylonian ideas, Babylonian viewpoints, Babylonian concepts, and the confusion of this world, which is just, you know, the product of the enemy. There may be a physical correlation between, there, there might be a correlation between this idea of spiritually coming out of Babylon and moving to a country setting, or at least moving to a setting that provides for you opportunity to reorient yourself, your mind, your heart, and these kinds of things. Do you think as someone who's taken a step, who's removed themselves from circumstances and situations that are impediments to the growth of your family, 
your kids and yourselves. Do you think that's a fair connection that I'm making? Absolutely, because I think, Matt, Babylon as a concept to me is as much a mindset as it, as it is anything else. So the Bible tells us that what qualifies Babylon is apostate Christianity, which encompasses religions that set themselves against God and his express commandments and what he says in his word. I think it encompasses possibly even more than that to extend to, to really anyone who ultimately ends up setting themselves against God and against his word. And I think when we look at the city versus the country, we see in the city degradation that is rapidly increasing. We see exposures to temptations we see movies, we see ideas and philosophies that are very difficult to avoid when we are constantly bombarded with them. And so being in an environment where we are connected with God's created works and where we can connect with the creator in a quiet, peaceful environment and where we are not continually bombarded with things that we may or may not you know, want to have promoted in our lives, I think it can make it easier in our relationship with God and in our endeavor to both seek and promote the truth as it is contained in his word and in his created works. You know, that's so good, hey, to come out of Babylon, although it's spiritual, it makes, it just makes sense, like to me, that we would, that many people, not everyone, like we talked about in the last podcast, but many people would be called to a new environment, a new physical environment. When I gave my life to God, I don't know how many people who were listening had this same experience, but when I fully committed my life to the gospel and surrendered everything and realized how much I really needed to do that, like the, when, that, when I had that first full conversion where I will die to everything I've ever been, God called me away from Orlando, Florida, and I knew that he did. He opened a few doors and I took off and I went to a mission school, to a mission college in South Dakota. And, uh, and then from there went on this six-year volunteer kind of mission where I just followed God from place to place and just did outreach ministry. And um, like looking back on that, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that had I not done that, I would not be a follower of Christ today. Not No way. And the reason why was because there were attitudes and mindsets and you know just a whole way of life that was attached to Orlando for me and I needed to exit that like in order to leave Babylon spiritually I needed to leave Orlando like straight up and because an envi your environment has an effect on you and to pretend that it doesn't you're just kidding yourself and so with all of my addictions and habits and all of that stuff I just got to get I, had to, I just had to get out and I knew I had to get out for my own spiritual survival. So I really appreciate what you're saying there. So the Bible says that, you know, in Luke 17, Jesus is interacting. He's with his disciples and he tells them something that's challenging. And, and so they say to him, Lord, increase our faith. This is around verse 10 in Luke 17. And Jesus says to them something we've probably all heard before. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, remove hence unto yonder place, and it would be removed. And and I, th I thought a lot about that, and I, and I want to kind of throw it to you a bit and see what your thinking is and your feeling is on that passage of Scripture and how it relates to what we're talking about here. I, I, when I, okay, a seed, if you put it in the right environment, grows. 
If you put it in the wrong environment, it doesn't grow. So he says, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move and it would move. And all nothing would be impossible for you. And making a practical observation of the natural reality that surrounds a seed, if it has water, air, sunlight, nutrient-rich soil, the seed will grow. That's what it needs. It needs those four things to grow. If it doesn't have those four things, it doesn't grow. And so I see in that this idea that putting yourself in the right environment is very important. Like I can't do a whole lot like to, I can't do anything really to make myself grow, but I can choose to put myself in the right environment. I can choose to put my kids in the best environment. My wife and I believe that that environment is so important. And yeah, so anyways, what do you think about that? Like this idea of putting yourself in the right environment and the Bible really, the Bible really supporting that idea, being in a context both, yeah, that, that, that is conducive of for spiritual growth, is conducive to spiritual growth. Matt, I think when you look at the environment that God first created for mankind, he put Adam and Eve in a garden. That was their home and that was their occupation. Can it get any better than God's original plan for us? So to place ourselves where we can have contact, and even if we're still living in the suburbs in the city, to be able to grow a garden And to be able to get our children involved in that, there are so many beautiful object lessons to be pulled out of the process of nurturing the seed. And furthermore, as one who has lived in London, one of the busiest cities in the world, the busy and not to mention expensive price tag attached to it left me constantly grappling this idea of how can I maintain my spiritual life in an environment where There are so many, and not to mention good things going on all the time, to be out in the country where we can slow down on those things that perhaps are not going to be conducive to our spiritual life and may not bear any consequence to our eternal life. And to be in a place where we ourselves and our children can pull out these object lessons, discuss them, mull over them and connect them with scripture. It is such a beautiful and blessed opportunity to be able to do that where we are able. And yeah, totally. I love the, I love the whole Garden of Eden idea. And see, like with back to the the Luke seventeen thing for me, the, a seed it just has growth potential because it's been engineered by God a certain way, and so He puts within that seed the potential to grow. And I think it's the same with us because the Bible says to every person has been given, every man has been given a measure of faith. I think that's Romans 12 too. And we have potential to have great faith. It just needs to be grown. And oftentimes it just needs to be put in the right environment where it can grow. And I think this goes beyond your physical environment, right? Like you're in a country setting that's closer to the Eden ideal than being in a chaotic city with being bombarded by marketing and advertising and, and and being manipulated by all of the inducements that are created by, you know, people who want to control your life and want your money. Yeah, like that that's one part of it, but there's other there's other like layers of an environment. There's like your social environment, the the social environments that you place yourself in or the yeah, I don't know, the kind of spiritual environment you create for yourself. I think all of that's important, but I, I really think People need to take stock of of their environment. And so even if you're in a city scenario, you're in an urban scenario, and you just are deeply convinced, this is where God wants you. This is where you're supposed to be his light, his missionary. You still can create in that situation an environment that's helpful for you spiritually and helpful for those around you. 
I know that when I was first converted, put myself back in the environments I was in a lot before I was converted, it, it wasn't going to help me. Like no way, like not even a little bit. And uh, I'm sure lots of people could relate to that. I wonder if that's why God didn't call Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, because that was an environment that he couldn't grow him in to the point where he needed him to grow so that he could be the father of the faith. So he already had faith. He was already a guy who his, whose heart was open to the God of the truth. And then, but then he followed. And in that journey of faith, he was developed and grown to be the man that he needed to be. And I think that's a lesson for us. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Matt. The idea of having restrictions removed that may exist in a more plentiful way in the city, not necessarily. I guess with the city, there are just so many more components to one's dimension of living that don't necessarily have to be present in the country. That's a really interesting point. And something else that like speaking about the analogy of the cedars, with all the elements that the seed needs to grow, it needs the water, it needs the, the sunlight, the, the good soil. We as people, t- to be in the best spiritual way possible, we we want to be as healthy as we can. We can be healthy in the city. We can be healthy in the country. The concept of new start and all of those components, I think, can be harder, but not necessarily, I say, but can be harder to stay on top of in the city, again, with the busy factor that comes with it and even just the fresh air part, depending on how dense the city is where you're living. Being in an environment where you've got that access to fresh air and plenty of sunlight and having time where you are able to go out into the garden, just getting that time outside, it's. I think it's a really essential part of our family's spiritual development is just nailing those very basic things for us that we know contribute to our health and our happiness and ultimately our spirituality. There's so many things that compete for our attention in the city. I think we have to be cognizant of that. And our world, you know, there's filled with voices. There's many voices and they're crying out for your attention. And not only around you as you're in an urban setting, as you're on your devices. Every time I open my iPhone, there's that's the first thing you open it, there's the news on my phone. And uh, yeah, and that's calling for your attention. It's pulling you in a certain direction. When a person spends a whole lot of time staring at an electronic screen that flashes and has different kinds of pictures every so often, that's, it's conditioning your mind. So not only are there lots of things calling for your attention, pulling it. There's also just as you you know look at your device, look at your phone, look at your television, there's a conditioning that's going on, like your mind, your brain is being conditioned. And I think, how can a person become a serious student of scripture, which takes mental discipline and focus and effort, intellectual effort to really pour over the text, to really deeply consider what is being said and the messages for us, wrestling with texts of scripture? How does a person get to the point where that's enjoyable or you know, something that they can actually even do when their mind is so conditioned by a screen that changes images every two seconds, three seconds, and they're in a city setting that's just constantly bombarding them with stimulation and pulls. And it's just, and I'm not saying that because a person can't be a spiritual, godly, decent person in the city. That's not where I'm coming from at all. And we don't do all thing evangelism podcasts so that we can tell people that they have to go out of the city and that if they live in the city, they can't be a, a spiritual witness for Christ and a powerful, yeah, a powerful influence in the world. But to just be aware, and if I lived in an urban context that was chaotic and busy, like where I came from, because I'm a city boy, like I grew up in, I would, man, create a circumstance in which I could just block out a lot of that stuff. Because how much can you take? Like you all have your, we all have our limits. We all have a capacity. 
Yeah. And what you're saying about being, you know, bombarded with confusion from the screens and having the, the screen change every few seconds and being conditioned to just the stimulation that comes from screen time, that certainly is is a temptation that no one is immune from, not the country people, not the city people. Coming back to this idea that Babylon being a mindset encompasses a number of different elements and we are told Babylon is a place of confusion and just being really mindful about the daily habits that we engage in, how much screen time are we having? Is our screen time time that is conducive to our spiritual life? Is it contributing to our capacity to both enjoy and understand the scripture? I think these are all questions that every serious truth seeker needs to be asking for themselves in their own lives, given the temptation that exists strictly around the screens that we possess in our homes. Yeah, I was thinking that in the United States, a lot of athletes, when they're training for a competition, they'll go up to Denver, which is and they call it, because they call it the Mile High City. It's it's a city that's built on a, on a, the end of a plain right next to the Rocky Mountains, and but it's already ten thousand feet high. I don't know what that is in meters, maybe three thousand something meters is where the city is. So the higher you go in elevation, the thinner the oxygen is. So all the people people go there to train because the oxygen's thin. So if they've got a marathon to run in North Carolina, they'll go train some like a, comp- a competitive marathoner. They'll go to over to Denver to train because the air is so thin. So then when they go back to North Carolina and do the marathon, they're just like way better off because their lungs are just super, they're just absorbing oxygen in a way that they wouldn't be able to if they were just training in the lowland area. So anyways, they go up to the mountains, they go up to Denver and they train up there. And what we're talking about to me seems like the equivalent of, say, a person who says, this is a lesson I wanted to share just through this analogy. Like moving to the country may be like going to Denver for someone who's training for a marathon or whatever kind of sports competition, football season or whatever, or baseball season. But moving to Denver alone isn't going to help you. When you get to Denver, you still have to train if if you're going to increase your physical fitness. And so we're not saying moving to the country is like going to solve all your problems. No, it's just you're putting yourself in an environment where it's easier for you to train for the competition that you have, the competition of life, right? Paul doesn't say press towards the mark unless you're in the country because there it's just perfectly easy to be spiritual, right? Like you'll never have issues there or so fight I, not as one who beats the air, but I run the race with patience. I fight with intention and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. These are not things that are just geared towards people in the, in the urban areas. So it's just, it's all about putting yourself in an environment where you can, where you're more free and more likely to, to just train better. It's a training place. And yeah, that's just that, that analogy just came to me. I like it. Yeah, that's a, an awesome analogy. I love it. That's really well put, Matt. It's so true. The temptations are still rife in the country as they are in the city. And certainly my salvation is in no way connected to where I am geographically placed in the world at any given time. But if I can give myself an advantage, and if it is within my power to do so, and if Spirit of Prophecy has told me that my advantage lies in being in the country where I'm still in a position where I can evangelize to the city folk as God calls me, then why not pursue that? Why not give ourselves every advantage that we can at this time that we're living in Earth's history? Especially knowing that somewhere down the track, and it may be sooner than we think, as God's spirit is withdrawn from this world, we know that the cities will be the hardest hit anyhow. In terms of 
the natural disasters that we already see unfolding around us, they're not going to get better, Matt. They'll continue in their intensity and at scales unprecedented in the less densely populated areas where by virtue of geography, there are less people. One can surmise that with a lesser concentration of people, there's naturally going to be a lesser concentration of evil because the evil, of course, is where the people are. It's a really it's a really wonderful knowledge that we have knowing what's coming and how best to prepare for it. Absolutely. Your whole statement about the city and the judgments of God and how as the Spirit of God moves away, they become more dangerous places. It reminded me of the fact that in Revelation 18 and, and all through Revelation when the idea of Babylon is mentioned, John's just borrowing from the Old Testament. And so when God called his Old Testament people, his ancient followers, out of Babylon, it was because Babylon was about to be judged, right? The, like <laughs> the Persian emperor was coming and he was going to destroy Babylon. So God is saying, get out of there. It's a hazardous place, both on a spiritual and on a physical level. So just get out. And I think we can't be too so spiritual that I heard a guy say one time, he said, some people are so uh, heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. So your spirituality can become so abstract and ethereal that it has no practical application. So coming out of Babylon, of course, it's it's a spiritual coming out, but also there has to be some physical reality connected to it, right? like we're coming out. But I just wanted to say too, though, that it's probably easier to get out of Babylon, like physically, or make that spiritual decision to leave the teachings and concepts and ideas of Babylon behind than it is to get like the essence of Babylon out of us. I like, think oh, so, because yeah. Babylon is infused into our, our culture, really. I think there are many Babylonian concepts that are prevalent in the culture in which we're living. Again, going back to that mindset and that mindset of compromise. Um, I think it's everywhere, Matt. Absolutely. And, and two, isn't like the beast of Revelation 13 and all evil empires in the history of the world, aren't they really just institutional manifestations of what's in people's hearts? Like they're just the collective reality that's produced by what's inside of us. And so I could get out of Babylon and still have Babylon in me. And that's, I think that's really something we all have to consider. Like we, getting out of Babylon does not really just involve putting yourself in the right geographical, in a geographical setting that's conducive to spirituality. That's a part of it. But it's also getting Babylon out of you. And I had a friend who was converted to Christ. And he said, all my old friends would say when they first heard that I had decided to be a Christ follower, that I had been brainwashed. And he said, you know what, though? I realized that I needed a good brainwashing. My brain was filthy. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. Like, obviously, he was just, tw he was twisting the semantic. He was twisting the meaning of what they were saying. But he was turning it around and saying, look, like, you're saying that I have just been controlled by some people who are manipulating me. But I'm telling you, that's not what's happened. What's happened to me is I have come to a realization that I am completely bent towards sin and death and, and destruction. And what I've always thought was life is really death. And Jesus Christ has come into my life and he's washing my mind. He's washing my brain. He's washing my heart. And so he, he's focused on Jesus. He's focused on the word of God. And he's being changed from glory to glory as he beholds the glory of the Lord, as through a veiled image, through the scriptures. And, and I think that that's a really beautiful thing. And, and I think ultimately, we want to be able to fix our eyes on Jesus and live, and live in a circumstance that, that gives us that opportunity as much as we possibly can to prepare, to draw nearer to him so that we can survive what's ahead. And, and uh, as Adventists, it's almost become a little bit, people, not everybody, but sometimes people can snicker at you when you talk about what's to come. Oh, here we go again, trying to fear people into the church, trying to 
scare people. And I think to myself, when I was in boot camp in the military, they would tell you what you might have to face. And they didn't do it because they were trying to scare you into doing the right thing. It's because they knew what can happen when you go to war. And God gives us these prophetic pictures because he wants us to know what is actually going to happen and so that we can be prepared and be better off. It's not, you know, to scare people. It's if you get scared and you make the right decisions because of it, good. But um, it's not to scare you and keep you scared. And anyway, so yeah, that's something I think about. We, we're going to come up to some extraordinarily, insanely difficult realities and times such as never was since there was a nation. And are we prepared at all for that? <laughs> And I think that I asked myself that and I'd say, no, like I'm not, I need to be prepared and I need to draw closer to Jesus and do anything in my power, like you were saying, to become more converted, more genuine in my commitment to him. For those who want to know how to come out of Babylon, what would you say to them, Matt? Oh, you're asking the questions now, are you? I know I haven't asked you any questions today. We're just (laughs) chit-chatting back and forth. But yeah, look, coming out of Babylon is really in the context of Revelation 18, departing from false teachings about God false understandings about God. So one one thing you could say is that becoming some choosing to define all reality by the revelation of God through his word so that I don't make decisions, I don't come to conclusions because I feel I think I perceive. No, that's the that that's what created Babylon. It's people thinking, feeling, con, you know, believing without guidance from God, living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, building upon the rock, which is Christ and his word, being sanctified by the truth. The word is the truth and letting God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, but making the unconditional commitment that the scripture and the scripture alone is your guide, is the standard of truth, is the thing that you use to base your decisions, your faith and your life. I think that's coming out of Babylon. That's a part that's part and parcel to it. You could also say, yeah, it's leaving behind false doctrines that are the product of tradition and not the product of, of God's revelation. There's more to it, of course, but those are the first those are the two things I'd say. Good question. What do you think? Like anything else you wanted to add? I completely concur. I think a really important part for anyone who wonders whether they are in Babylon or not is to just take it back to God and just say, God, if there is anything in my life that is preventing me from having the best relationship I can have with you and is preventing me from having the truth as is contained in your word. Please reveal that to me and help me to cooperate with you in removing that so that I can have the truth that you would have me know for this time because doesn't the Bible say the truth will set you free? And isn't that what we all want to need is to be free from the captivity of being in Babylon and free from those elements in our life that would harm and destroy us or prevent us from having the greatest amount of happiness and peace that God would have us have both in this life and the life to come. Yeah. Amen. Hey, so one last thing I want to throw out here before we take a turn to land this plane today is, oh, it's a story that's it's in Genesis and it's in Genesis chapter 20, has been saved from Sodom and his wife was saved as well and his daughters were saved. But on the way as they were escaping from the destruction of Sodom, Lot's wife turned around to look and she turned into a pillar of salt, just simply representing that her heart hadn't left the city. So although she had physically left on an emotional, psychological level, she had not left. And so God just, the judgment of God was she turns into a pillar of salt. And it's interesting because Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And it's in the context of his teaching 
of the end of time. Remember Lot's wife, you come out, but make sure your heart's out as well. You're not just physically coming out because you're still in danger if you come out. You're, you can be in the wilderness and your heart will turn. You'll, you'll just turn to salt. Anyways, but then they get out to a cave, they end up in a cave, living in a cave for a bit. So Lot was a caveman for a little while. And uh, when he was there, some pretty immoral things happened between him and his daughters. And it wasn't, not at his instigation, but at theirs. And they decided to to get their father drunk and have a child. Both of them have have kids with their dad. And the reason why is because they thought, well, he doesn't have a wife. There's, there's, he has no, there's no offspring that will be left to our dad. They were his offspring. But anyways, they had two boys. And, and it just occurs to me that Lot had a choice before moving to Sodom to, to not move to Sodom. But because it was a place where there was more prosperity, that basically Abraham, before before he, he entered into the city of Sodom, if you didn't know this, I think you know this, but in case anyone's not, I'm just giving context here. Abraham sat down with Lot and said, hey, you've gotten so wealthy and rich, and I've gotten so wealthy and rich that our herdsmen are fighting and we're overlapping each other's territory. You tell me where you want me to go and where you want to go, and that's what it'll be. And Lot says, okay, I'll, I'll, t- I'll go this way. And it was in the direction of Sodom. And he decided to go towards Sodom. And to settle towards Sodom because it was a place he could make more money, and he find he found he could find more prosperity there. And then, okay, so he chose to chase money, and then he found himself in Sodom. And then in Sodom, the men of Sodom wanted to, and it was just a bad place. He had to get out because God was judging the city. So he leaves, and then he finds himself in a cave, and his daughters are, you know, doing this craziness. And, and it just dawns on me: where did they kind of learn their standards of morality? Like, what would possess? relatives of Abraham, the father of the faith, who God says, I know him. He'll command his family after me. He keeps my charge, my commandments. And this is Abraham. And his nephew and his daughter, his daughters are, they practice, his daughters practice this grotesque immorality. And I think it makes sense. They probably, they were from, they lived in Sodom. This is how they act in Sodom. This is Sodom-like behavior. And so this is a biblical example of the effect that Sodom can have on people, even who are saved from the judgment of God. The influences of Sodom affected the daughters of Lot and made them make this very immoral choice, this very crazy choice. Now, somebody might say in that culture and in that time, you know, having a male son was just such an important thing. Okay, fine. But a righteous family who are close to God, the girls aren't going to be doing that. And um, so this is, I think, a super important lesson. Sodom has an effect on you. So, does, so anyways... I think back to this mindset again, isn't it? Escaping the mindset of Babylon, which again comes back to the point of we can find it in the country, we can find it in the city. We are more likely to be bombarded with that Babylonian mindset in the city. When Lot chose to live in, that was his choice. He could have achieved almost the same outcomes with his business if he had placed himself just outside of the city. And he could have done the same witnessing because one can surmise he witnessed as he was a saved man. He was counted righteous by God to the point where he was led out of the city by the angel, but he could have done all that he wanted to do, but without actually having his dwelling surrounded by the evil corrupting influences of his time. And could it be that his children were so exposed to the evils of that city that what should have appeared grotesque, in fact, appeared quite normal? And then it poses the question for us, are we at risk of developing that same laissez-faire mindset toward elements that God deems exceedingly evil? It's a good question, isn't it? Absolutely. When I was first converted and came from a pretty like hard 
living environment. I remember coming into the church thinking, because I was so fired up, I'm memorizing scripture, I'm having devotional time, witnessing was very important to me, not because it was natural or fun, but because I thought I need to share this message and I need to care, I need to learn to care about people enough to share with them vital truth. So witnessing was a big part of my life and, and, and in church context, I would find myself rubbing shoulders with people who I thought, man. This person is not taking God seriously, but they're living a much more moral life than me. And I just, I don't want to speak derogatorily or sound like I'm bad-mouthing anyone. But I, when I was first converted, thought to myself, the, the basic perspectives and attitudes of the world are here in this church right now. It's just that the people here in this church are not fully partaking of the behaviors of the world. So they deem themselves okay. And like you can watch the behaviors of the world in a movie and enjoy it and think that you're, since you don't do it, you're, you're, you're just a righteous person who's going in the right spiritual direction. But the fact of the matter is that if you live your life for the same reasons that the people in Babylon live their life, you're no different on a fundamental level. And so I used to, I coined this term for Adventists that I, when I first came into the church, I haven't said this for 20 years, guys. So I wouldn't say this now because I'm a much more refined and ennobled person, but um, to the grace, to the glory of God and to the grace of God, I don't run around saying these kinds of things, but for the sake of teaching and making a point, I want to say it. I used to say that many Christians and many Adventists were G-rated sinners or were G-rated lost people, which just simply meant like I was an X-rated lost person. These are ratings for movies. G is the best movie. PG is like parental guidance is suggested. Then PG-13, it's a little more mature content. And then and then rated X is like explicit, sexual, bad. So I, th- I thought to myself, I, I became converted and I was a rated X lost person. And then I came into the church and there was a bunch of rated G lost people, but they seemed to be entertained by rated R lost people. And it was just like, wait a second, what's going on here? Like, And I really believe this is the product of the influence of the world around them because they didn't see how repugnant and offensive sin and the attitudes and the dispositions of the world around them really were because their standard was not Jesus Christ. Their standard was not the Holy Word of God. And it was like they were defining their reality by their environment. And their environment was, I'm sure when Lot moved into Sodom and he found out that mobs of people would go around like raping men and sodomizing other men, I'm probably sure he was like, what in the world? Oh, yeah. Why did we come here? For a while, he was probably thinking of getting out. And and when his daughter started to spend time with girls who would, or were just being in an environment where people would have sex with their kids. I mean, what? You know what I'm saying? And it's, you can say it doesn't affect you. You can just live in this fantasy world and just assume, oh yeah, doesn't have an effect on me. Yeah, it's not affecting me negatively spiritually on a spiritual level. Yeah, of course. Now it's true that we have to be balanced and, and realize that Jesus came from Nazareth. And okay, Daniel was in Babylon and was a righteous example, but... He prayed three times a day, and even if it was going to cost his life, he prayed. And so he maintained a spiritual environment that protected him from that physical environment with all of its spiritual like influences, yeah? So if you're in a Babylonian scenario like Daniel, live the life that Daniel lived, because that life will protect you from those influences. So to pull another analogy into it then, let's talk about rather than G-rated versus R18 rated, let's talk about temperatures boiling hot versus freezing cold. Let's say that Babylon is freezing cold and closest to God's throne and the closest to his truth is boiling hot. And there are different gradients of temperatures all in between. But for those who have a knowledge of that truth, 
but who have moved closer either geographically or in their mindset to the Babylonian thinking, but who have not let go of their biblical beliefs such as the Sabbath or other components pertaining to God's word, particularly for our time, they're going to be somewhere in the middle. Now, what temperature do we get, Matt, if we are a little bit hot and a little bit cold? Oh, boy. There's a biblical term for it, isn't there? No no one wants to be in Laodicea and no one will ever walk around saying, I think I'm in Laodicea. But we know that we are told that the end time people are at risk of being somewhere in the middle, not on fire for God, but neither supporting some of the very overt concepts of Babylon. But may God help us all in becoming boiling hot by living that Daniel life and praying three times a day and asking God daily to cleanse us and prepare us for what is coming, not only the storm, but also the promise of the life hereafter. The people of Laodicea are balanced between hot and cold. How many times do you hear people talk about being balanced? Ah, I listen, I say this. Now, balanced theologically, where you do not come to quick conclusions or superficial conclusions or speculative conclu- you know, speculative theories. Amen. Don't be imbalanced. But sometimes when people talk about being balanced, what they mean is, is don't be too on fire for God. Don't be too serious about God. Don't be too committed to the scriptures. That's what sometimes people that's what people mean sometimes. And uh, and I've always thought, don't try to be balanced in your Christian walk, especially at the beginning. Try to be focused. Just be focused. Don't be balanced, be focused. Because balance is produced by movement forward as you walk towards a goal. You'll notice children when they're learning to stand, always like walking, they don't learn to stand before they learn to walk. So they can't they balance better when they're moving forward towards a goal. And so I always think, yeah, like when we say, Adventists oftentimes say, you should be balanced. And I say, that's true. We should be balanced. Absolutely. If what we mean is theologically, like we're not coming to extremes where you're not taking into account all that the scripture has to say about something. So you're taking one part of the scripture and you're running, you're being imbalanced. Like I get that, no doubt about it. Or you're taking a text to a place where the, the text is not intended by the word of God to go. Okay. That's being extreme. That's being imbalanced. But uh, we shouldn't mean when we say we need to be balanced, that we need to be balanced between hot and cold. Because the Bible says, I would that you were either hot or cold. Like, that's what God says. So I'd rather you be all the way cold, because at least you'd know you were cold. But it's better off than being in the middle. Being balanced between hot and cold is worse than being one or the other. So, Carrie Ann, we've got to say this before we end, because we're going to, we got to shut down the show. Evangelism. This is all things evangelism. I believe that this conversation pertains to evangelism and success in evangelism. And I want to just throw it to you before I say anything. If you agree, how does this pertain to evangelism and being successful in our witness and our mission as a church? If I am endeavoring to evangelize to those around me, I first need to be right with God and endeavoring to make those elements needful in a relationship with God as easy as possible is not only to my advantage, but then to those who I want to evangelize to. Now that, especially in my case as a mother, includes my children. So placing my children where we can best see God in that and all that surrounds us is a really important one. But also being somewhere where, okay, again, I'm less bombarded with things of the world that cause me to put the focus on myself and rather being in a position where I can say, okay, What do I need to do around me? Who can I reach around me? 
how can I make that happen? Just having that presence of mind by not being too busy and not being too distracted to me is is just such a precious thing. And again, you can do that in the city, you can do that in the country. Having moved up here recently, I am seriously starting to question, how do I reach people? How can I have Bible studies with them? Do I go door knocking and ask people if they want Bible studies that way? What can I do? And I feel part of that is that I've come up here and I have literally got a bit more time on my hands because there's less running around and there's just just less going on. I've been intentional to arrange that. But yeah, I think it has everything to do with evangelism for my personal circumstance because of the advantages that being in the country has given myself and my family. Yeah, amen. And for me, being Look, for me, it's real simple. John the Baptist lived in a country setting, and he is a type of those who live at the end of time. He prepared the way of the Savior. And and th- that was not a model for every individual, but it definitely is a lesson for the people who live at the end of time. And so I think what you're saying is just right on. The Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Okay, put God in your hearts, sanctify him in your hearts, give a special place of the first place in your heart for God. And then it says after that, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man a reason for the hope that's in you. So here we are. We're to prepare ourselves for the sake of, we need to sanctify God in our hearts for the sake of sharing him. Yeah, look, I'm not someone who says, I live in a neighborhood. I live in Murray's Beach here south of Newcastle. It's a neighborhood. We have neighbors just stones throw away and whatever. And so I'm not somebody who believes that you can't be spiritual. You can't develop yourself as a witness for God if you're not in the country. I think that's that would be a slightly extreme view that doesn't take into account all that Ellen White says or all that the Bible says. But at the same time, the whole idea of environment, it, it, I think that's that's 100% biblical, 1000%. And we all need to be creating an environment around ourselves that's helping us be what we need to be, a spiritual environment, a physical environment, a social environment. It's very important. And how in the world can we be a help to the world when we're just fighting to survive because we're putting ourselves in unhealthy spiritual environments or unhealthy physical environments grow us? So once again, there's just a few things we can do to help ourselves grow spiritually. And one of those things is put ourselves in the right environment or create the right environment around us. And yeah, listen, guys, that's my um, last little exhortation, my last little piece of encouragement. If we want to succeed in our evangelistic mission, we need to yeah, we need to put ourselves in the right environment. Jesus created an environment for the disciples, right? Like it was an environment where he was teaching and they were doing ministry and mission. It's like the environment we provide for people at Arise. A certain social environment, spiritual environment, physical environment, we give them mission and it grows them. You just put them in that environment and they just grow. They just do. And so I think that's really important. So Karen, you wanted to say something. You're, you're giving me the, the little eye, the look. So I just would like to encourage our listeners, for anyone who is perhaps in a suburban or city environment and they have that desire to relocate to somewhere more rural and perhaps like we were five months ago in a position where we felt it was quite a difficult move for us at that time, we were committing this to prayer on a daily basis. We had our prayer list written out. We had our Bible verses we were claiming. We had Ellen White quotes that we were also presenting in prayer. My encouragement to you is persist in prayer. I believe God wants as many people as he can with within his movement to get out of the cities for a number of reasons that we've discussed as well as some others we haven't discussed. Persist in prayer. 
God will do for you what you cannot do for yourselves at a time that is right with his purposes for your life. So don't give up if you are wanting to move out to the country and it seems like a difficult thing because God has plans for you and he wants to fulfill the desires of our heart, doesn't he? Hey, said. Listen, guys, thank you for joining us. Thank you for that last remark, Carrie Ann. God bless you guys. We look forward to seeing you next week for All Things Evangelism. Take care. Bye.